Welcome to the World Nomads podcast, delivered by World Nomads, the travel lifestyle and insurance brand. It's not your usual travel podcast. It's everything for the adventurous, independent traveler. Thanks for tuning into the podcast in which we celebrate van life, an episode inspired by the documentary The Meaning of Van Life, an adventurous, revealing look into the van life community through the eyes of nomads who've chosen to live a life of freedom on the road. Director Jim Lounsbury worked closely with the van life community stalwarts Johnny Dusto and Jared Campbell of Van Life Diaries to find and tell authentic stories from within the van life community and look at why modern nomads have made the decision to forego traditional homes for a life on the road. Yeah, well, in this episode, we will catch up with a couple of van lifers featured in the doco, Jared, as you just mentioned, and Kit Whistler. But World Nomads was present at one of the van life gatherings that they have, filming for our US Discovery series, which is due out shortly. So Joel, our man in front of the camera, has captured conversations with people at the Wyoming gathering, which we'll share in this episode. But look, let's kick it off and catch up firstly with Jim, the director, to find out how it all started. Well, to be honest, it started because my wife went to high school with Jared Campbell and Johnny Dusto. And these are two gents that um, I've known for about 10 years, 15 years in Australia. I'm not Australian, as you can probably tell by my accent. We, but We I, picked that. <laughs> <laughs> but I've lived here for the last... Seattle? I am from Seattle. Yeah, you've done your research. but um, <laughs> And then tried to fake it. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, tell me. Yeah, yeah, tried to enough. fake it. Right, fake it on. till you make it, Phil. Yeah, so your wife was friends with the, the guys who were in the movie? That's correct. And they were traveling around in their vans. Uh, they're both musos and Johnny's an avid surfer. So that's a classic pathway or gateway drug into van lifing yeah. is, um, you know, traveling vans. And so what they they did is they started this social media network, uh, Van Life Diaries. And their whole idea was to share and celebrate the stories of some of these people they'd been meeting on the road because they met just, you know, dozens and dozens of people, hundreds of people living on the road in their vans. And it just exploded. And they realized they'd sort of caught this movement sort of at a time when it was just, I mean, look, you've got hundreds of thousands of people out there doing this in different ways, shapes and forms. And I think three, four years ago when they first did it was kind of when social media kind of intersected that. Yeah. And people were able to share those stories in visually compelling ways. And also, they're all out there alone and they're wanting to connect mm. because you're isolated when you live in a van often. You're mm. out in national forests. You're parking in out-of-way places. That's part of the joy of That's it. That's part of the – yeah, exactly. That's a bit, but, but, what it says on the can. Yeah, yeah. but yet you get, but yet you get you a get little lonely. lonely being out there. So they all like to come together for these gatherings. And Johnny and Jared started running these gatherings. Um, when they started that social media network, it exploded. And they, I think when I first spoke to them about – doing a documentary, I said, look, this is crazy because they exploded from about, you know, 10, 15,000 right up to over 100,000 within the space of the first six to nine months they were doing this. And I was like, you've really cottoned on to a huge interest group. And whether it's someone who's out there living in their vans or it's just people vicariously wanting to live in a van or thinking it would be a wonderful thing to do someday, I'm like, this is a universal thing. Um, I've always been fascinated by nomadism and the idea of how going places can change you. I'd really love to do a documentary on this. Could yeah. we do it? Should we do it together? So, and so you did. So we did. Yeah. And I think there's been a, a huge paradigm shift too between, I don't know what it is like in America, but I'm guessing it's uh, there's still that, you know, let's get married and buy a house and live in a house. 
there's this sort of swing toward tiny homes, toward yeah. van life. It, you don't necessarily have to have bricks and mortar, you know, single address for 25 years until your kids retire. It's just not like that anymore. And I noticed in this in this film, it was all ages of people that were into van life. It was. Even though the primary characters and subjects in the documentary sort of were in that, what I call the sweet spot of van life in that 28 to 35 category. The reason why I sort of focused on that age bracket is partly because I was looking at an area of van life where people were making a conscious decision to live a life on the road. And often these people had spent time working in the ordinary world, as in working in corporate America, you know, working as accountants, photographers, writers, designers, all sorts of normal you know, jobs that we would consider normal jobs where you go to work nine to yeah. five yep. um, and then had made a conscious decision to go, you know what, uh, this just doesn't fit. It doesn't fit right. Um, I need to go either searching for self or I need to search for something else that does fit right. And um, it's kind of funny, you know, when I when I was doing all the research on van life diaries or, you know, and, and on van life and as a general thing, I started looking at the whole American psyche and the way that America was set up. Cause I'm, I'm from America. Obviously I, I filmed van lifers in Australia and America and Germany, you know, yeah. all over the world. But in America, the whole premise of America is this country built on, you know, um, these people who put all their possessions into covered wagons and headed West looking for a better opportunity. And in so many ways, I actually feel that van life kind of mirrors that wow. because it's these people who have, you know, whether they're overstimulated, overworked, or just, you know, lost in some way, shape, or form, have just gone, you know what, we're going to put all our possessions in this vehicle of four wheels, and we're going to head west or north or south or some other direction looking for a better opportunity. Yeah. And it was that common theme of looking for, uh, to redefine their expectations of life, which I think emerged through the documentary. In fact, they at some of the gatherings, the people that have been doing it for a few times had their core group of friends, and they would park their vans exactly the, the wagons. Yeah, they would exactly the way the wagons used to be. Yeah. It's a, and that's what the term yeah. they use. You circle the wagons. There's a safety in that. Yeah. There's a community in that. And that idea of four or five or even two or three wagons circled and a little fire in the middle and you make your meals in the middle and you, you know, and then you kind of explore each other's, you know, vans, whatever, and you might go off into the woods for a hike or, you know, to explore photography or do something, you know, yoga or whatever your practice might be. But, yeah, coming back to that safe base, that yeah. that community. But the difference being, you know, the covered wagons heralded in uh, a, a period of amazing economic growth and building of wealth. And this in another way is kind of a rejection of that, do you think? Yeah, I think there is at the heart of this a uh, re-evaluation of capitalism and the promises of capitalism. I think that's a recurring theme throughout a lot of the van life movement. It's not that van lifers as I saw it were rejecting capitalism or the structures that exist. It was that they were going, you know what, I'm not sure if this works for me. I'm not sure if this is, you know, and, and it could be because of the pressures on the housing, we, you know, the rising cost of living. And, you know, we, I don't know where I read this, but, you know, the, I don't remember which generation it was, but it was it's recently, you know, sort of, we're finally coming to that point where as children, we're not making as much or we don't have as good prospects no. as our parents did in terms of economic outlook. Yeah. Right. And so people are having to redefine their, um, uh, you know, the consumerism and what m it means to be successful. But yeah, it is, it is extraordinary when you see all these shapes and sizes and flavors of people that are out there doing this 
and you know, like Eddie Kraft, one of the guys in the documentary, he's a famous photographer. He used to do he did that <gasps> famous photo of Jimi Hendrix with the guitar yes. burning. Burning. Yeah, he's a, he was an album cover photographer. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, and okay. a rock and roll photographer, but yeah, That's did it. a lot of album covers for uh, a lot of famous musicians in the you know seventies and eighties, and. Um, but Eddie, you know, he just he got to this point where he'd been working since he was 16 years old, yeah. you know, doing photography because he just happened to I think when he was he had a press pass when he was in high school photography class and get got into a Jimi Hendrix concert concert and took that photo. Wow. And that in his career just exploded, yeah. as you can imagine, yeah, yeah. Um, and went on from that into restaurant, you know, into being a restaurateur and everything else. And um, he just never didn't work. He was a workaholic and got to had some health problems later in life and went, you know what? bucket list. I never got to have that trip as a youth, as a, as a young man, never got to have that trip where I got to travel without possessions and just travel around yeah. the world in a van, live in my vehicle. And I want to do that. The other thing that worried me about the gatherings though, is that I don't have a particular, nor, I don't have any mechanical skill, nor do I have any skill that I could share around the fire, like singing or dancing or, because they were all oh. really talented people. I'm Give me good a at, break. You're pretty good at telling a story. Like, who wants to hear about the time I shat myself in Japan? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Mate, you've and got I'm, that one story that will get you I've around any I've got that one gathering. story and I'm very Just... good at put downs. But um, <laughs> they seem to be really a talented bunch of people. Yeah, no, I think there's a common element in the van life communities that I experienced is that so many of them are artistic, um, they're expressive, you know, and also this idea of going out on the road, you know, you have that open road, you have a lot of time to think, you have a lot of time for inward yeah. sort of reflection and you get a lot of perspective, you get a lot of art from that. So this is a not very secret passion of yours that you're harboring, Kim. You, you, do you think you will, Yeah. you're going to get serious, you're going to do it? I, Absolutely. Not not necessarily to nick off for six months, but we were, when we lived in Adelaide, we were huge campers. Yeah. We had an A-frame van that Andy's dad had given us, so we spent a lot of time in the Flinders Ranges, places like Coober Pedy. Um, so we, we're part on this journey anyway. Yeah. So we had, a, we had a home that we had two children, which one's uh, – Still in Adelaide, ones in the UK. So we're empty nesters. We had a, a huge home. So it was two living areas. It was um, four bedrooms, three bathrooms. We had two kayaks. We had four bikes. We had absolutely everything. All the toys. Yeah. All the toys, all the bells and whistles, roller skates, roller blades. We left Adelaide January 2017 with four boxes. Wow. And that's all we still own. So we're very keen on the idea of being minimalists and to hook that into kind of getting in your van on a Friday and not coming back, you know, even mm. till Monday morning before mm. work. And to be honest, there were so many people in the van life community who were weekenders. They had house yep. somewhere. Yes. They had a property somewhere. Um, even Kathleen Morton, who who is uh, now one of the members of Van Life Diaries, and she runs gatherings in Colorado and, you know, Tetons and everywhere else. But um, – Kathleen, she owns a little property, you know, out in the wilderness in Colorado. She hires, she she rents the house out to a, a young family, and she lives on the, you know, on the on the acreage in, in an old motorhome yeah, or van, yeah, whatever yeah. she's driving or living yeah. in at the time. The other thing that we like, we so we've been doing lots of tiny houses, yep. mm -hmm. and often these places are quite remote, and you can't take your phone. So I really like reading, but I'll read at home two pages, and then I'll pick up my phone, and I'll go through. Instagram, Facebook, 
and Snapchat. Then I'll put it down. Read a couple more pages. Yeah. Oh, but where was I up to? Yeah, right. We go away for these weekends and we will read a whole book or yeah. half a book and then we'll have conversations about the books that we're reading and then we'll go for sticks to light a fire. We'll see a snake. We'll watch a hot air balloon. We're just... I don't know. And for all you people out there listening, I mean, she's just describing what life was like in the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Maybe that's why I have such a such a, a love of it. But <laughs> no, because, oh, that's classic. That's the, yeah, it's classic. But it's, it's but, but it's true. And I think I think that there is um, I think there's a huge need. And I don't think we're taught. We're not taught in schools. We're not taught in our social structures that we actually need time for reflection. We need rocking chair on the veranda time Absolutely. to actually process all the information that's continually coming in. We're stimulated all the time, overstimulated um, by everything from school to entertainment to advertising to everything else. And I think that we have to find those pressure valves. For many people, it's you know going down for the ocean swim in the morning. Some people, it's going for that run through the park. Yep. For some people, it's you know, um, yoga. You know, yoga or or one of the other curated, I guess, reflection times, uh, meditation. There's a lot of different ways to find that pressure valve, but certainly travel is one of them. And certainly living the van life can be a, a big pressure release for someone who might have just had just too much of it. Is there any estimate of how many people are living the van life? Or? You know, we tried to get a bead on it. I don't know. I certainly think that it's growing because of the interest on Instagram because the accessibility with social media and everything else, people can see it. They can see pathway to it. Mm -hmm. Um, So many people plan and um, are reaching out to some of the founders of Van Life Diaries and every single day about how best to go about it. Where do you park? How do you convert your van? How do you eat properly? How do you eat properly on the road? Um, uh, You know, how do you get showers consistently? How do you, you know, all those how to's. Um, and so that's that's there's a constant, you know, I guess you could say tsunami of conversations happening on social media about that as people prepare um, and help one another prepare for van life. I loved the the film. How do people access it? The Meaning of Van Life is now available on iTunes, Google Play, Vimeo On Demand and Amazon Prime. Um, if you're in Australia, we have an exclusive deal with Stan. So you can watch it on Stan. It features a lot of these people we've been talking about, you know, Johnny Dusto and yeah. Jared Campbell and Sam Peterson, Kathleen Morton, JR and Kit, who are of Idle Theory Bus and a lot of other van lifers are out there doing it. Um, and it really focuses on the community aspect of van life and how important it is for these van lifers to kind of lean on into one another, uh, be a part of a community, even though they often live out in remote areas, you know, experiencing all the freedom and joy that that provides in these amazing places. But um coming together and the importance of community is sort of a focus of the documentary. Thanks, Jim. Uh, By the way, he largely shot the doco himself, apart from a few Australian scenes shot by the Australian cinematographer Anthony Jennings. Yeah, love it. Good stuff. Joel DeKetteret is a filmmaker, but he was on the other side of the camera with World Nomads hosting our US Discovery series, in which we filmed at a van life gathering, and he checked in to find out a little more about living in a van. 
Uh, my name is Bridget Sweeney. Um, I've been doing full-time van life for about five months. Um, I work in HR remotely, full-time um, for a company that I worked for previously. They let me take my job on the road, which has been super sweet. What do you kind of cook and eat? I eat like the same thing every single meal. I'm a creature of habit. So right now, um, I'm doing like frozen cauliflower. I'll do it with like some olive oil, salt, pepper, garlic powder, put a little cheese in it, and then like add a protein. So whether it's like ham or like sausage or something. I have um, a sink in the van that works with a foot pump so I can like wash my face, brush my teeth, things like that. Um, for showering, I have an Anytime Fitness membership um, and I lift twice a week so I usually just shower when I lift and that's my general schedule. I've been like going out to eat and like exploring new breweries probably more than I should um, but in general my expenses are way lower. Um, you know, I pay for propane, I pay for water, 10 bucks a month probably for each. The expense that really drives me crazy is laundry like I, I don't know why it, it costs me like 20 bucks every time I do my laundry at the laundromat and it just makes me so angry and then obviously gas depending on like how much I'm driving that month but um, I don't really pay for campsites ever so comparatively to living in a house or an apartment my expenses are way lower mm. I had a friend who's been living in a van for like the last nine years or so and I just thought it was cool but I just didn't see how it would work I'm very practical so I'm not comfortable like quitting my job and spending my savings just to live on the road. And then I worked in Colorado for a couple of years um, with a company where eight, about 80% of their employees were fully remote. And a couple of the guys I worked with lived full-time in RVs and stuff with their um, significant others and their software programmers, like working full-time, making good money. And that was the first time I realized like, oh, you can actually contribute to your 401k, like add to your savings. Like for me, I need the practicality and the consistent income to feel comfortable. So once I saw that that was an opportunity, I really like started thinking about making it happen. And I moved home with my parents actually for a couple years to two years or so to save for and build it out. I figured I'd have to find a remote job, but again, my company let me do it. Let me keep my job and go remote because I had a good track record with them. So that was pretty sweet. But yeah, it was really seeing those guys do it, do it full time while like having those practical things at the same time that really made me realize that it was an actual option for me. Kit Whistler and JR Switchgrass. They are the dynamic duo behind Idle Theory Bus, a website and a community of dreamers who seek idleness or time spent doing nothing. Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds very good, doesn't it? Kit features in the meaning of van life and is a very long-term van lifer. So we have been full-time living in our bus sunshine for seven years now. Uh, we also did a year before those seven years back in 2010. That was kind of our trial year. Uh, we went back to the city, didn't last there long and hit the road again in 2012. And we've been out here ever since. Two things stick out from for me personally about you um, that you haven't spent, I think you said more than an hour or two hours away from JR in the whole time that you've been traveling in your van. Has that changed since you made that statement? Yes. So at the time of filming with the documentary, that was true. We were, you know, we spent years side by side in the bus, not separating out. We didn't take a flight. We never were apart. And, you know, for a while that worked for us, actually, you know, I think that we were in a flow in which that time period was working out really well. This year, about six months ago, we started changing that a bit. Uh, we, we felt like we needed independence 
we didn't know quite how to allow that within our lifestyle. And we've kind of been experimenting with spending time apart. So actually a few weeks back, JR just uh, went off with some friends for two weeks and I was alone in sunshine for the first time for two weeks and it was heaven. (laughs) Uh, It was something I had been craving for a long time. Um, And I got to, you know, it was just an epiphany to wake up every day and not have to check with someone else. uh, Where are we going today? Or what are we doing today? And it's been interesting, you know, how long we've been doing this because as a person you change and your needs change and that's, that's how it should be. Right. Um, but you know, living the way that we do making these changes because we have been a single unit has been quite the challenge. Uh, and we've had to very consciously map out these times apart, but it's good. I don't think that this is for everyone. You know, people write and ask and they're like, you know, how can I make this work with my partner? And there's no, you know, unified answer of how it works for, you know, it's couple to couple. But also I think that you have to be incredibly aligned in pace, in values, um, more so than, and I think in most other lifestyles, you pace is a big one. JR moves more quickly than I do and I'm more slow moving, but he, can't just leave camp if I'm not ready. So we often find that he's waiting for me. So we've had to make these micro adjustments so that, you know, we're not driving ourselves crazy all the time or driving each other crazy all the time. The second thing that resonated with me was that, and I felt really sad. I actually had a bit of a tear. I was already teary thinking, I don't want to do this now. I want to be bad like that. But when you, you talked about your father's response to the way you wanted to live your life, can you just take the listeners who haven't um, seen the film yet through that? Sure. Uh, so my family had a very difficult time with it. My father in particular, you know, he, he had this idea of how he thought that I should live, you know, and in a way at, at this point in my life, I can say rightfully so, right? He, he was there for me and raised me and he helped pay for my schooling, which I'm enormously grateful for. Um, but given all that, he literally told me when, uh, when I was moving out onto the road that I was a bad return on investment. Uh, JR and I, uh, when we started out on the road, we, um, were doing farm work and my father just couldn't comprehend that I had gone to a good school and I was an intelligent person and that I was out there picking fruit, uh, that just didn't register to him. And we, you know, we had a really tough time working through that together. We didn't talk for a while. Um, it was, it was really difficult for him. You know, his identity was so wrapped up in, in his children and their success, which I think is, is especially in the United States, I'm not sure as much in Australia, but that's, you know, a lot of parents really define themselves by their children's achievements. And I think that the fact that I wasn't going to achieve anything really just kind of destroyed him. And it, it says a lot about our culture. You know, I don't think this is just my father. I think that this is, you know, this is life in, in the United States as, you know, a middle to upper middle class um, person is there are these standards that we're supposed to live up to. And when we don't, we get judged very heavily by society. And I didn't care about being judged, but my father did. And that was a big reckoning. I never meant to bring shame to him. And I never meant to, you know, cause harm uh, to our relationship, but I definitely did. And I think both of us over these last seven years have really had to work out um, an understanding between us of, hey, dad, uh, there's other ways of measuring success besides what I'm doing for a living. And um, 
you know, I said, well, I'm, I'm happy. Can we find a way to measure that and maybe measure my success on those terms? And uh, we have come to that. Um, and we talk now, which is great. He doesn't understand everything I do, <laughs> obviously. You know, every time I talk to him, he asks, where have you showered? Uh, what are you eating for dinner? Just like, he just can't conceive of what my life actually looks like day to day. But he's curious now. But yeah, you know, I struggled enormously with that. And I think that that's an aspect of van life that isn't talked about very often. You know, people think that you just get all of this support and that people think it's the dream and, you know, people look up to you for doing this. But I think the reality for a lot of people is that, you know, they have a hard time explaining these choices to their families and they have a hard time reckoning with society and how society views an alternative lifestyle. And uh, I was, it was a hard thing to share in the film, but I'm grateful that I did. Some people have reached out since, and, you know, expressed that that resonated with them or that they had, you know, similar experiences. What I was seeking, you know, in the beginning when we hit the road, I, I feel like I was running away from a lot of things. I was running away from boundaries. I was running away from restraints. In the beginning, it was about running away from responsibility. And I think over the years, I have started to think, what am I becoming and what am I heading to? And to me, that's more values-based than outcome-based. Um, so I move toward values of freedom, which I uh, define as the ability to accept insecurity. Um, I move towards beauty. I found that beauty is very important to me and that I, my spirit starts to wither when, I'm, when I don't have it in my life daily. Um, you know, so as I'm choosing my path, that, that's where I'm coming from is what does my daily day-to-day -day look like? And it does my day-to-day -day consist of values that um, make me joyful. And that's what I'm moving towards. And I think that our society doesn't really have a way of measuring whether or not we're achieving these values of beauty, you know, being surrounded by beauty or freedom or happiness or joy. And, you know, that's kind of a challenge. I've been like, can we, just like we have money that we measure, you know, certain forms of success by, can there be some kind of system by which we measure our joy or the beauty in our lives? And maybe we would value it more then. But also for your dad to measure your success practically, you've written a book that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think that the book, the publishing of our book three years ago was a turning point in my relationship with my father. Now there was a way, um, you know, I had gotten something that was within the traditional worlds. Uh, I had achieved a sort of traditional success. And, you know, if that's what it took, like, okay, that, that means, you know, something to him. At first, I was kind of angry and like, oh, wow, that's what it took <laughs> for you to support. And I think, you know, over the last seven years, my father has seen, you know, I'm on a, you know, you're interviewing me on a podcast now, you know, how could he have foreseen that uh, I was going somewhere with what I was doing? I mean, I couldn't prove that. I didn't know that, that it was a path to creating a book. That wasn't why I went and did it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really interesting how when you follow what feels right, it's like these things start to fall in your lap, you know? <laughs> so making sure that you have money, that's hard when, when you're on the road. How do you do it? Our financial situation has been really interesting on the road. Um, in the beginning, when we first hit the road, 100% of our money came from manual labor and farm jobs with, that we picked up along the way. 
Um, you know, that included fruit picking, that included, you know, we butchered chickens, that included building fences on ranches. We dug out a fountain that was filled with gravel once. Um, you know, you name it, we've done a lot of strange things for money. And uh, in the beginning, doing the manual labor, that was actually part of our goal in hitting the road. And we found that we really enjoyed that work. You know, we were able to kind of, you can turn your mind off the repetitive tasks that kind of flow. They don't pay well, they don't pay well at all. But uh, we, it was enough. It was enough to get us around. We would usually, you know, when we do a farm job, we can usually work for about four weeks and travel for two months off of the money. Uh, usually the farms give us a place to park the bus or they have worker housing. And a lot of times you also get food from the farms. About three years in, we started sharing our journey and just JR is a photographer and I'm a writer. And we started sharing what we were doing on our blog and social media. And we kind of, over the years, gained a, a following of people who wanted to see what we were doing every day. And that's kind of transformed into, that's where, you know, our, our book grew from that, from that social media and blog following. And so now we've actually really transitioned into making art um, 75% of the time. And then the other 25% still comes from farms. So that's been an tr interesting transition. You know, we had to put a solar panel on the bus so that we could work out of it. Uh, that was new. We are trying to figure out work-life balance. And um, it's been really cool to, have, to grow into that just as our relationship has, our relationship with work has grown. Well, at the beginning of the chat, we talked about needing space. So, and being, uh, if you're contemplating va van life, being on the, um, the same page or heading in the same direction, what would the second piece of advice be to anyone that's contemplating this type of lifestyle? When you're going to make a big lifestyle shift, it's very important that as you look at those who you're inspired by and what you see around you, that you take the elements that work for you, but don't try to model your life after one particular person who you look up to. And I tell people that all the time, there's a million beautiful ways to build out a life on the road or off. And I think that if you're going on the road, some people get this grand idea of the archetype of what it looks like. And I think that it's very, very important in our media-driven society that you are an active creator of your life and not an imitator of someone else's because that's where um, happiness comes from. And I know that's not, you know, that's a little bit esoteric and it's not exactly about van life, but I think that that is very, very important. Practical side, circling back to what I said in the beginning, if you're going to be living in your vehicle with another person, it's very, very important to designate areas of the bus or the van or the camper that are only yours or only theirs and that are off limits to the other person. Having a little bit of physical space uh, that you keep your possessions in that they can't look at or they have no say over. We found that to be absolutely crucial in you know, maintaining a sense of privacy and autonomy. Links to the Idle Theory bus website in show notes. Now, Joel checked in with Gus from Van Do It to get his take on van life. Um, I like to eat uh, really all kinds of things. Um, I do have a, you know, 
Dometic um, fridge. Uh, so, you know, as far as regular refrigerated goods, um, I like my veggies and fruits and plenty of, uh, you know, this morning I had a little yogurt with granola and some blueberries, that type of thing. But hey, whatever uh, is available, uh, whatever I'm carrying in the van at the time. Three main staples, I would say stir fry, oatmeal or granola for breakfast, and definitely a lot of, uh, I have a hot tronic slow cooker, so slow cooked chicken, usually tacos. So I have a drop shower. Um, I have a five gallon uh, hot water tank. Uh, it's also part of our grid system. Each component is removable. So I can set up in about three minutes, my drop shower off the back. I have mounting points off of these doors with the Ford Transit. Um, other than that, I could drop the stall wherever I wanted it to be. Um, in this setting, you know, maybe I don't want to take a shower right in front of my entire audience here. I mean, I'm sure they might be into that just because they're van people, but uh, if I needed to more privately move that shower back over here against the tree line, a little bit more appropriate for the setting. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a month in on the van, so I can tell you that, you know, I got a 25-gallon tank, uh, 3.7 uh, V6, so getting on the best case scenario, 16, 15 miles to the gallon. Um, so most of my living expense is towards gas. Um, I'm based out of an area where I use another vehicle to actually commute to um, my, my, my contract work for this period of time. So I would say, you know, probably in the under 500 realm very easily between gas and, and food, insurance. Um, insurance. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I feel it is very welcoming. I mean, you see a lot of families, you see a lot of couples, um, you see a lot of engaging people that simply want to know who you are, know what you're about, where you come from, what your story is, and kind of bring uh, you into their world. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful community. Meaning of Van Life director Jim mentioned Jared Campbell in our chat earlier, a musician who's been living full-time in his van for four years with his partner Ashley. He is a co-founder of Van Life Diaries, which at the time of recording has just under half a million followers. <laughs> well, it's a pure love project. I was lucky to start up with a, a good, two really good friends, Jonathan Dustow. I grew up with him since uh, like grade one so we've known each other a really long time he's a musician we're all musicians <laughs> which is which is great we're all musicians and it's a small world when you make music and he, he came down to visit we just got chatting sam and i were doing a few bands while i was holding down a, a steady job we'd just do them for friends and then um, he wanted to you know share people's stories on the open road as well so he um johnny was already working on another platform called rebel on a rainbow which was sharing creative stories and he came down and said oh you know, we went out for coffee and we just we just started chatting and went, shit, let's just do this together. It'll be heaps more fun. And I love working in collaborations. So I feel like you can get a lot more done in collaborations personally. You can really vibe off each other's energy and really push at it a bit harder. So the next day after coffee, we started a sort of the first Ben Life um, forum to celebrate individuals on the road. I mean, people have been doing it for a long time, since the 60s, since fans were made. And um, we just wanted to celebrate everyone as a whole and unify everyone and we did it under the name yeah fan life diaries <laughs> just grew ridiculously quick um johnny's in the film with you how did you and johnny 
get your van from Australia <laughs> to America or did you get another van when you were in America? <laughs> we, I bought one when I was here. My partner, Ashley, and I bought one when we were here. Um, we bought one from Vancouver. Our last trip when we were running events and, and making filming the documentary with Jim, we spent two thousand dollars on a on a on a van in just outside of uh, or yeah outside of Vancouver. It's a seventy seven Dodge pop top, which was really cheap. And I mean, I, I got it off. I saw it on Craigslist and messaged the guy before I came over and just said, "Hey, do you mind if I buy that off you? Can you hold it for me? Because it's a, it's a, a true relic and it's a, it's a beautiful old van. I mean, it it it, it broke down every second weekend, but you know the parts don't cost a lot. It's just can just be nerve wracking. You know that's one of the one of the pains of van life is you're kind of bound by how your vehicle's going, and and it can be quite stressful if you have to be places and it's not going. You know, can you just arrive somewhere like you've explained and pick up a van and head off and have a van life experience for three to six yeah, months? Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I'd encourage people to do it that way. I mean, if, if that's the type of travel you enjoy, then definitely try that. Like, I mean, because then at the end you can sell it and you get your money back as well. Tell us about this business that you've got um, down in Victoria. And I say down in Victoria because I'm talking to you from World Nomads headquarters in Sydney, um, uh-huh. where you, you fit out vans. Yeah, well, I, we do complete custom conversions for people. I do that with, with Sam. People will come to us with a design and we work with people purely on their design and um they'll give us you know all the things they want we'll give them a quote they'll you know they'll either knock it back or say let's go for it and usually we can um pull it back until they're happy with the with the quote i mean we work purely to you know to get people on the road so generally people come between the 8 to 15k mark that's usually what people want. And for that price, you can get an off-grid vehicle with solar panels or you can get all the electric set up. You can have lights in it, you know, all the things pretty much. I mean, that's pretty cheap for a custom conversion. I mean, we also give people the option to sand and paint stuff because we just charge on a day rate. I guess that's why we love doing the custom work is that we can actually, we, I mean, yeah, take the time to sit with people and actually really thoroughly go over stuff and, you know, see their vision and get excited with them. It's really fun. You mentioned the 60s and, you know, van life, that was kind of when it was born. Uh, why do you think it's so popular now? I think there's all sorts of contributing factors. The fact that it's just really fun to be and awesome to be in a car park and be able to pull a kitchen out the back from under a you know a tailgate. I think the reason it's exploded uh, beyond that though, housing affordability is a massive thing. Rentals, you know, if you want to save up for a house, how do you do it while you pay rent? It's really tricky. Um, and you can change it at any point. I mean, it's just like, for me, it was like moving into a small apartment. I had to get used to a few little things and I can move out of it whenever I want to. All the links you need to Jared and Sam, their Instagram page and conversion site in show notes, of course. Yeah, I'm Alex Bowen, um, musician for most of my life, um, just sort of getting back into music now. Done the van life for on and off for uh, about 10 years. And yeah, so I basically would travel with music and then come back to it and, and now I've gotten into content creating which has brought me back to van life which is incredible and yeah. you know injected me back into this community uh, i'm hayden um i've been a part of the van life community for three years now um where do i even begin it's crazy yeah, it's yeah crazy. my my, my uh, journey's been through three countries now and it's my as i was mentioning to you earlier it's been my ninth gathering here 
And the, the question you're asking was, what are some of the common themes that we find? I find the, the idea of, of how people want to live their life is all common. Now, each gathering is completely different, and there's so many different souls that come in, different families, and different ways of life, but the idea of just living free and living in a moment is the most common theme that I find. We were lucky enough to borrow Jim Lounston's van. He's the filmmaker and documentary maker of uh, The Meaning of Van Life. Um, it's, uh, what would you say, a two-person van, and there's three yeah. of us in there. Two-person. So we've been, we've been in it for four weeks, it was, mm. yeah. And... Um, uh, after that, we, we attended two gatherings. Um, the first one in Squamish, right at the beginning of our trip, which was uh, uh, one of the warmest welcomes I think we've ever received on a trip. And um, we finished our Canada trip with the band gathering. And, and we were lucky enough to score some rides with some friendly folks. And there's been a, multiple gatherings where we haven't had a phone reception. And there's been multiple times where people aren't even on their phones. And, those are some of the most connected moments that I've found. And those are, those gatherings are always held out in the bush, um, always away from, from society and stuff. And there's definitely a common theme throughout each of the countries that I've experienced. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's so good. It's, yeah, as you said, like, we've been to a few that have no reception or that kind of stuff. And, um, and it's not even like this community needs forced vulnerability or forced love. Mm-hmm. But... You know, that kind of stuff really promotes it, to be able to disconnect from the, the real world, whatever that is, which is, for, for us, this is the real world. Yesterday I was looking at everyone gathered around the potluck and I just smiled. Like, I, the sun was setting. I was just like, this is beautiful. This is primitive. We're outside. We're sharing food and everyone's sharing conversation and ideas and everyone just has a spot. Yeah. A big thanks to Joel for capturing these conversations, but I think we should actually check in with him, Phyllis, who's no stranger to van life himself. The first van life gathering that I went to was in the Sunshine Coast and immediately I felt like I belonged. And then when I went to the Colorado meetup in um, Wyoming, it was it was an incredible feeling because it, it I, I felt like not only was I with my people, but I got to geek out and see a different range of vans and and different types of people as well living the van life it's, it's just yeah it's it's just an incredible community and it's I, I feel like when you get there there's this instant wall that is down and there's this just this is overall acceptance of who you are and where you come from and and just a general interest in you know in in who you are and and what your story is and i think the exchange of stories um, in this meetup just helps you to really understand that this is, it's a thing. It's, it's, um, it's a shared interest. It's a shared lifestyle. It's a choice. And to be really honest, like, I think that, you know, whether you're doing it full time or part time or just part of your lifestyle, I think it just opens, it opens your world to, a range of experiences that you can you wouldn't have if you just tried to get around in a car well you yeah. live in a van you live in a van and we're talking to you from your home well no i i do i do van life part-time so i've, I've got a home as well um i've got this is like my mobile home and um you know after the after my travels in the us and after filming 
uh, World Nomads, I, I came back and I, I felt really I felt really off when I came back. I've, I kind of felt a little bit down and, and displaced. And I was I was just trying to figure out what what was happening and what was up with me and and I don't I don't and I thought it was like just the feeling of you know the post post holiday blues you know when you go on this epic trip and you come back just really down but I realized that when I came back I had changed and my old life wasn't serving me the same way so literally yesterday. I made a decision to move out of Sydney, move out of the hustle and bustle and move to Newcastle. And it's just a, it's been an, like a real liberating feeling that I can, you know, live a coastal lifestyle. And then, you know, when I'm not working on productions, when I'm not filming or directing, I can go out and have national parks at my disposal um, with, with a, you know, quite close from where I live and, you know, I'm, I'm quite close to, you know, um, or closer to, to Brisbane, still very close to Sydney. Yeah. I just, it's like the world nomad series was an incredible experience and it just, it changed me. And I think when you travel, I think, you know, what, what you need to do is like you figure out how you've changed and then make steps to, facilitate that change otherwise you just get stuck back in the rut you know and then you're always looking forward to your next holiday yeah you, you just, you're just not living life and i i made a real commitment to just making sure that i'm living my life on my own terms and meeting so many people in the world nomad series and interacting with people i would have never ever have met in australia this made me realize that there's such, there's such a big world out there and you know, I want to explore it, but I also want to explore my backyard. Mm. Who of those people met the most inspiring? There must have been a life that somebody was living that you admired. Well, you look, I, I met a couple who are living van life full time. They're on their second van. I think they've cracked the code. I think they've cracked the code as far as living on their own terms, but also making a living and making a good living. You know, it's there's people who, from all walks of life, but I, I feel like this couple that I met who actually one of the founders of the Van Life um, Van Life app in the US, you know, they've made it work. They've they've made they've been able to create for themselves a lifestyle where they can earn like a, a really good a really good career, like earn a really good wage, live minimally, but not but not roughing it out, you know, <laughs> not not kind of getting out of uh, getting out of their van with a toothbrush and in their pajamas, you know, they they've they've really kind of mastered the lifestyle. I think that uh, what I've learned from them is that you know life is not about stuff; life is about experiences. From talking to them, I I realised that it's all their 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 whole work and their career is centred around being able to have a lifestyle where they're not spending money on just material things. They're they're spending their money on their lifestyle. Okay, let's meet one half of the couple that was such an inspiration to Joel. All right, my name is Jessica Schisler and I'm the co-founder of the Van Life app and the creator of the travel blog Van There, Van Dot There. Um, and I have been living in a van, a Mercedes Sprinter for the past two years. This is our second van and we can dive into that in a little bit, but I 
I started living in a van with my husband because we wanted to live a more intentional, minimal life um, in a sustainable way. So the first time we saw a van, we we were like, hey, that's pretty expensive, but it's a pretty cheap mortgage. So we started thinking about it a little differently and thinking about life a little differently and um, figuring out how we could quit our jobs and build sustainable businesses. Um, so we were living on the East Coast, so um, a cheap mortgage is around 250 um, but some of these vans are upwards of 120 We ended up um, financing a brand new van, so we pay um, like $900 a month for the financing fees, um, and then building it ourselves was about um, $15,000, including $5,000 of salvaged materials from our previous van. Um, so there is definitely some upfront commitment, but we don't really consume as much as we used to, so we don't spend as much as we used to. Um, we, we were able to pay down a lot of debt in the first uh, year or two um, while I was doing a lot of freelance work with some clients. Uh, I do science communication, so I, I help life science companies talk to the public about science in, in a really approachable way and in a way that's easy for people to understand. But now I'm in the startup world, so I've been building the Van Life app, which is an application that helps you find community on the road, helps you find places to stay for free overnight, water, resources, gatherings, all of the things you need to sustain this life. So um, needless to say, a startup business is... Um, it doesn't give you any money. So we're, we were so close to being debt-free before I kind of jumped into this venture and now we're kind of living on credit cards. And in terms of like our expenses, um, I would say, like I said, about $900 in the van payment. Um, actually, health insurance is our largest uh, payment. Mm -hmm. we, we pay about $1,000 a month for health insurance uh, because we needed a, a PPO plan. The PPO plan allows us to get care anywhere um, and we're never in one place. So it's really important to us and, and we like to do Act outdoor activities like skiing and snowboarding and hiking and biking um, and it was just too much of a risk for us to not have that kind of coverage and so then with the auto um, insurance we learned the hard way that we should definitely have motorhome insurance on the van um, our first van was only covered with auto policy so it only covers you know the engine and the vehicle itself and that vehicle was totaled in uh, by a herd of elk in Idaho so it was a pretty unfortunate situation that we didn't really get a lot of reimbursement back from the build itself, which is why we worked so hard to salvage every, all of those materials. Um, so we learned the hard way to definitely get motorhome insurance, you know, go to the DMV or the motor vehicle department and register your vehicle as a motorhome and then go to your insurance agent locally and talk to them and see what kind of policy you can get. Mm. What we did was, um, Basically, I detailed out everything we paid for on the build, and I submitted that, and then that helped us with our case of how much the van is actually worth. Mm -hmm. um, granted, they don't pay for your um, your time and your labor, so unless you get a professional, that's not really covered. Mm -hmm. um, so, gas is about or diesel is about four fifty a month, I would say on average. It depends obviously on how much we drive other expenses paying down you know like thousand dollars a month on a credit card so i think we we average about four thousand a month in expenses we um we have set the space up so that we can both work in the van we have a desk situation where the two booths face each other and then there's a table in the middle um, so that allows us both to work. Um, I use mostly computer work and he does art. So he's always drawing and painting and, and he tends to get out of the van to do his work more than I do. 
But of course, we can always, you know, like we are sitting here right now under an awning, you know, with the loungers out, with the tables out. I have some portable power packs from Jackery that I can set out here so I can charge my computer and we can make it work out here. So everything is very amplified when you're living in a small space. So if you are having a bad day, um, you know, your partner can really feel that very quickly. And so it's important just to say, hey, I'm not feeling great like I, I just need a little bit of space today and then just go for a walk by yourself definitely get alone time mm. is really important it's a whole set of new challenges so it has pros and cons just like anything um, they're just a little different than people living in a house everything takes a little longer you um, have to get fuel you have to get water you have to dump the toilet you have to make sure that you have enough groceries and your fridge you know the fridge only holds about four days of groceries so you have to go pretty often mm. to the grocery store um, unless you stock up in the coolers or anything um, so things take a little longer and I think the first day we got on the road it was such a hustle to you know, pack up the house and move into the van. And by the time we got in the van, we were in Baltimore and I needed to be in Chicago in two days for work. Cause I was so, I was working full time on the road for the first month. That was like kind of the deal I, I, I sparked with my company that I was working for. So, um, then we had to drive like crazy to get to Chicago. Um, but we stopped at Cuyahoga national park in Ohio and we, we got there right, right as the sun was setting and we pulled out the tables and we started the, the little stove outside and we cooked and, and we sat down and we were eating our dinner as the sun set at the national park and we were like, this is it. Like, mm. this life is for us. Mm. So it really was, even in all that hustle, like the first day we knew that this was going to work for us. Okay, as you know, I don't need any convincing and I'm totally up for it. There will be you've a- done some of the tiny home Yes. Stays, haven't you? Yes, yes, yes. And um, talked about my love earlier in the episode of (laughs) running off in a van. Uh, There will be a heap of links to inspire your own adventure on the road in show notes. By the way, Phil, you can't do a road trip without a great soundtrack, but what's your favourite song to play when you hit the road? Oh, uh, well, it tends to be the latest pop song that the kids like, but I did a few years ago when I did my trip around South Africa, I had a little um, secret playlist that I played and first time we got in the hire car, I put it on. Of course, the opening song had to be Africa by Toto. Oh, perfect. (laughs) I like the Australian band. I love the Australian band Cold Chisel, so Kaysan for me. Fair enough. The World Nomads team has put together a list of their favourite road trip songs, which will be in show notes, featured alongside a soundtrack link to Spotify. Have Have you created a Spotify playlist for us? Mate, I'm not just a pretty face. <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing, but... <laughs> yes. Hey, did somebody... Somebody sent us some feedback recently, by the way, that said, I don't like how you guys put each other down. I'm that, not... That's... that's and Perhaps that's it's Australian. It's a very Australian thing. A very Australian right. thing Well, I do. didn't mean to put you down there, Kim. No. But thanks for making the playlist. Well, you will notice that I laughed at you. <laughs> Had I have cried, then yes, yeah, 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 there's an enough. issue. Right-o. Anyway, created the, pod, uh, the Spotify list yeah. and it'll sit alongside the meaning of van life... Um, list which is also on Spotify so right. fun to do. Hey where are we off to next week? Um, well ironically we're going to Bangladesh where it's suggested you don't do any driving. <laughs> you can get the World Nomads podcast from wherever you grab your favourite podcasts and please feel free to share, rate and subscribe. And get in touch via email podcast at worldnomads.com In fact tell us your favourite road trip song we'll oh, add it to our it. playlist. We'll do that. Okay. okay. Bye. Bye. The World Nomads podcast. Explore your boundaries.